Please remain standing as we pray together. Come Holy Spirit now and preach the word of God through a human person. Lord, I pray that your power to preach and declare your word would rest upon me so that what is uttered here is full of truth, so that uh, what is uttered here is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, be with each of us. Equip us to receive the good news, Lord, to be challenged, to be energized for ministry as we look deep into the mystery of the baptism of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a a special Sunday for multiple reasons, not the least of which uh, that, you know, this... We're the survivors of Snowpocalypse 2017, huddled together here for warmth among one another in this place. Uh, This is typical uh, southern weather. Uh, The world just shuts down when we get an inch of snow or a little bit more than that. Uh, But I'm I'm proud of us because every time we have a snow event like this, Christchurch always shows up. It's amazing. I'm really really encouraged by that. But this Sunday is really special for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, this is the ninth anniversary, the ninth ninth birthday of Christ Church. Nine years ago today at Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church on Bolton Street, we met in their basement uh, for our first worship service. Can you believe, those of you who have made it to this point, that that was nine years ago? We're going to have a 10th year anniversary next year. We need to think about doing something special on that day. Uh, This is also a special uh, day for us because it is the feast of the baptism of the Lord. We recall that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River on this day. We celebrate that. That's a part of the Christian year, that cycle that rolls around every year. And the reason we do this is because this Sunday is still a part of that epiphany season. Epiphany means this. It means shining forth or the shining forth of God. When we talk about epiphany, we're talking about how God has manifested himself, how he's revealed himself. In the Eastern Church, and I don't mean Eastern North Carolina, I mean like Eastern Orthodox. uh, In the Eastern Church, this is called theophany. We can call it theophany too because it means the shining forth of God. God is revealing something very unique and special about himself in this event of Christ's baptism. Something we would not know about God unless he had revealed it to us in this particular way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning because in Jesus' baptism, one of the things that God reveals to us is this. That God desires to be intimately connected, profoundly connected to his redeemed human creation. All of us who follow Christ follow in the footsteps of his baptism. Jesus has been baptized just like all of us. So the person, now this is the point of connection that I want us to make. If Jesus has been baptized like all of us, that means the person and ministry of Jesus revealed in his baptism, if he's baptized as sort of a model for us, that means the person and ministry of Jesus revealed in his baptism carries over into our lives. Something about his person and ministry revealed in baptism is going to be revealed in our lives as followers of Jesus. Jesus becomes like us by being baptized and we become like Jesus through holy baptism. 
one of the things that Jesus does that's really shocking, actually, is that Jesus identifies, he connects himself with his fallen human creation, through fallen his fallen humanity, through his baptism. And John the baptizer, we heard that in the passage this morning, is scandalized by Jesus' request for baptism because John's baptism was the remission for the remission of sins, and Jesus does not have any sins that need remitting. And so John says to Jesus when he shows up, he says, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, not you by me. So why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, one of the things that happens in his identification with us as fallen human creatures is this, is that this is a revelation of God's humility. Jesus demonstrates God's humility. We think of God, we think of glory and splendor. But what we see here revealed in Christ's baptism is also God's humility, the willingness to go as low as he needs to go in order to bring us back to the Father. Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes. When we are baptized, then, if if we're connected to Christ, Christ models something about us in his baptism, then we take upon ourselves the humility of Christ. We are inviting God to rank us with the lowly. We are saying to God, I no longer want to have things my way, but your way, even if it means making me lowly. Uh, back in, the, in 1878, the, uh, the Salvation Army had really uh, begun to make a mark in the United Kingdom, back in England and Great Britain. And, uh, and word of what, about what was going on with the Salvation Army, this ministry uh, that was directed, uh, it was really about obviously preaching the gospel of salvation directed really to the underclasses in England and uh, to the least and the lost, you know, and that word was getting out all over the world and it was having an impact in the United States as well. And in 1878, there was a young man who was named, um, uh, Bringle. His, his name was Samuel Bringle, B-R-E-N-G-L-E, Bringle. And Samuel Bringle had heard about the work that General Booth, you know, William Booth, the leader of the Salvation Army, had been doing, and he wanted to go to England and enlist in the Salvation Army. And so he showed up, and General Booth was at first very reluctant to accept him as an enlistee in the Salvation Army. And and this is what he said to him, you have been your own boss for too long. You've been your own boss for too long. And Bringle insisted that he be a part of this movement, and so Booth admitted him into the Salvation Army to be trained. And what he put him to doing was this. It was his job to shine the boots of the other trainees in, uh, in the uh, training for the Salvation Army. And Bringle said to himself, he said, Have I followed my own fancy across the, or- across the Atlantic in order to black boots? Have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to black boots? And he was very put out about having to do this. And he had, as it were, a vision of Jesus himself bending over the rough feet of those uneducated fishermen, washing those feet as a humble servant, and then... He prayed this. Bringle said, Lord, you have washed their feet. I at least will black their shoes. And he entered into Christ's humility. 
Uh, the year that he died, it was in eight, uh, 1936, Bringle died. He brought it back. He brought the Salvation Army back to the United States. And by the year he died, 1936, it was really thriving in the U.S. and in Canada. And, uh, and at the end of his life, he sent out one last memo to the leaders in the movement. And the memo said this. It was one word. Others. Others. That he had entered into Christ's humility and was willing to serve others. That's what it was all about. And we enter into that as, as well. Jesus willingly identified himself with the fallen human condition in his baptism. He took upon himself our weakness when he should have been clothed in majesty. And we actually sang that in one of the hymns this morning already. But redemption did not flow out. This is critical for us to understand as followers of Jesus. God's redeeming work does not flow from his majesty, but from his lowliness. It is not in his majesty that God redeems the world. It is in his willingness to go as low as he can. The power of salvation was unleashed, unleashed through selfless, suffering love, not through pomp and splendor. So God's power and blessing, brothers and sisters, and this is so critical for each one of us, for all of us in this church, particularly for those of us who are in leadership of any kind, God's power and blessing rest only on those who will be humble just as their Lord is humble, who are willing to associate with those who are of low estate. If we cannot stand correction... If we cannot sit under instruction, if we cannot bear to not have things go our way, if we have to be in control, if we have to have our ego constantly stroked, if we think that we have to have the spotlight or that we believe that we are a part of the elite in crowd, then we have a serious spiritual problem with pride and God will not be able to use us mightily. Because those are rejections of Christ's lowliness. And so he invites us in our baptism into his humble servanthood. The baptism of Jesus marks the, the beginning of his earthly ministry. At, the point, at that point, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus to empower him for the ministry that lies ahead. And in the same way, our baptism by water and the Holy Spirit is our baptism into ministry. We are baptized into ministry. It's not just our fire insurance. We're not just getting out of jail free. We are baptized into ministry. When we come to faith in Christ and claim the promise made for us and to us in our baptism, this is particularly true if we were baptized like I was as an infant, but when we, when we claim that promise, when we come to faith in him, we are made co-laborers, co-laborers, yoke fellows in Christ's ministry. Now, the passage we heard from Isaiah is one of what we call the four servant songs in Isaiah's prophecy. Um, they, the, the gospel passage that we heard is a clear fulfillment of the prophecy that we heard read this morning from Isaiah 42. We can hear that connection. Listen to what it says again. This is Isaiah 42, verse 1. And I want you to think about what we heard about with Jesus' baptism. Listen. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, listen to what it said in Matthew again. And when Jesus was baptized, 
Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending, descending like a dove. What does it say? I have put my Spirit upon him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What did it say in Isaiah? It, it, behold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. This is, Jesus is clearly the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic word regarding the servant that was to come. And those servant songs, as we're familiar with them, culminate in Isaiah 53, where we almost have a verbatim account of the, the crucifixion, really, is what is revealed uh, in Isaiah, the suffering servant song of Isaiah 53. So the ministry of the Messiah, what we hear... In is a ministry of service. It's obvious because they're called the servant songs. Someone has, equi- has equipped, uh, har- someone has said this, quipped this. They said, um, most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. Most people wish to serve God, but in a, an advisory capacity only. We are called to service, though, not in our own image, but in the image of Christ. Now, listen. If we're called to servant ministry in the image of Christ, if this is true, then we're called to bring the ministry, listen, of justice. It says that in Isaiah. Jesus brings about God's justice by submitting to suffer the injustice of the cross. The greatest acts of justice that have ever been done since that time have taken place when people were willing to take a stand for God's justice, willing to take a stand for God's justice, and then accept the unjust suffering that an enraged world poured out on them. And that's what happens when we, when we stand with God's justice. We can expect a fallen world to react violently. Just think about the nonviolent re- resistance of Gandhi. This is back in the early and mid-20th century. Uh, and you didn't think I would ever talk about Gandhi from the pulpit, but I am. Uh, because it's important to know that the nonviolent resistance that was led by Gandhi in India is what ended the rule of uh, the British Empire over that nation. And he did it nonviolently. And here's the thing that many of us don't know is that he modeled his movement for independence from Britain on the life of Jesus. This non-Christian modeled his movement on the way that Jesus had served. And you just can't defeat the results. Justice was brought. Think about the civil rights movement, the freedom marches, the sit-ins at the segregated lunch counters. We're very familiar with that here in North Carolina. The dogs, the water cannons, the jailhouses, the martyrdoms. Justice flowed out of the redemptive suffering of those who realized that the very moral order of the universe was being spurned and could bear such things no longer. And that, those acts of justice that were done to the point of suffering are what, are what brought about change in this nation. We're also called to a servant, if we're called to be like Jesus in his servant ministry, we're called to a ministry of mending broken lives. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, in, in pastoral ministry, this is one of the things I've really come to appreciate more and more and try to model more and more in my own 
own life is to, to not, not break off those bruised reeds, not snuff out those smoldering wicks. In other words, to, to, deal, to deal with mercy with those who are struggling and not to cut them off. And God is so merciful to us. He calls us to that kind of mercy ministry about healing and restoring people's lives in the tender mercy of God. He calls us to a servant ministry of deliverance. We hear that in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, listen, to free captives from prison and to release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. We're called to a ministry of deliverance, which is one of the reasons why Christians Christians should be at the forefront of the campaign against human slavery, against the trafficking of human beings. There are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been in the history of planet Earth. Did you know that? Did you know there are people who are in slavery, more people in slavery today? And why we are not enraged by this? Why we have to think about, we think about the, the wicked institution of slavery in the United States. It was a horrible thing. It tore our country apart. We paid a price and are still paying a price for it. But brothers and sisters, it's still a problem. Why aren't we enraged about that? Why, aren't we, why, why don't we take the, the cue of God's call for deliverance in ministry and lead in that? And we're called to the ministry of deliverance from spiritual bondage as well. And we believe and practice that at Christ Church. We see people who need deliverance and we, and we watch God begin to break through. Uh, we see it in, in situations where people struggle with mental illness or with addiction, where people are really bound. And we have seen wonderful, wonderful acts of deliverance in this church. But that's a part of what we do because we're baptized like Jesus. The baptism of Jesus reveals also his unique relationship with God. And in our baptism, listen, we are also marked as God's sons and daughters, though not in the same unique way I know as Jesus is God's son. But still, God claims us as his sons and daughters in our baptism. So what God, this is critical. What God says about Christ, he says of us when we are joined with Christ. And this is what he said at Jesus' baptism. Listen, you are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And now to each one of us, and some of us really need to remember this, especially when the enemy brings accusation against us, when we are beating ourselves up, when we feel like we're failures, when we feel like God can't do any more with us. Here's what we need to remember. Because we have been claimed by God in our baptism and by our faith in Christ, he says over us, you are my child whom I love. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And he always says that. Because we're covered in Christ. We have put on Christ. That's what the scripture says. We have put him on. The word is just like putting on a garment. We, we, we have been clothed with Christ. And folks, some of us have been living our whole lives longing to hear somebody say, You're my child. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. And if you hear something else being spoken over you, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. He makes us a new creation in baptism. In Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. 
and God the Father utters the divine logos, let there be light, and he brings forth light. Theophany, that word, as I told you, theophany is theophanos. It means the shining forth of God. He calls, he, he utters the divine logos. He brings forth light. And there is the first creation. In the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep at the moment of the first creation, the Holy Spirit again is descending over the face of the deep as the divine word made flesh. The logos descends into the waters of a disordered creation and, the, and God the Father speaks again. It is a one-to-one correspondence with creation. God is beginning a new creation of the whole world. Those of you who have been through the Foundations course have heard me say, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't so much get wet as the water got jesus that, that he is redeeming, he is reclaiming, he is reasserting his authority, he is renewing his own creation. When Christ goes into those waters, it is a moment of new creation. A new creation is beginning at that moment, and we are meant to see that. God the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit is over the face of the deep, and the Word of God comes into the waters. And a new creation begins, but that's not the end of it. Because we are united to Christ in his baptism. What does it say about you and me when we are baptized into Christ? We are in Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The scripture says this, If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. God makes us a new creation in our baptism. There is a new creation happening. We are not the people we were before we met Christ by faith and received the sacrament of baptism. We are literally experiencing a new creation. St. Cyril of Jerusalem said, The beginning of the world, water. The beginning of the good news, Jordan. The beginning of the world, water. The beginning of the good news, Jordan. He's reasserting the new creation that happens in Christ's baptism. God loves us with such a gracious love. We have been adopted into God's family when we receive Christ and we offer our lives completely to him. In our baptism, we are gifted by the Holy Spirit to live out the Christ life we're called to. But here's the deal. We have spoken so much in this sermon about, and we've seen it here because it's revealed in the scriptures in the Isaiah passage in particular. We talk about servant ministry and I got to tell you, folks, sometimes when we hear that, those of us who are, are very duty-oriented, very, very uh, conscientious people, and we hear about servanthood and ministry like that, we begin to think uh, like, oh, my gosh, I've got, I've got to do something else. Now, listen to what I'm saying here. If you, do, if you try to do this Christ-life servant ministry in the power of your flesh, in other words, by just trying harder, by just applying a little more duct tape, by just getting a bigger hammer, by just bootstrapping yourself a little bit more, by just putting a little bit more effort into it. If you try to do that, you will be discouraged and you will become resentful because it will, listen, wear you out. No one can do this ministry in their own strength. And God has been so generous to us that he has provided the means of grace. He gives us, first of all, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But if you're like me, I'm, I feel like I'm a colander. You know, the Holy Spirit just leaks right out. 
sometimes. And I need to be refilled over and over again. And you know, we hear that in, in, in the book of Ephesians where it says, and be not drunk, Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine. Yeah, we believe that too. We're Anglicans, but we believe that. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess or wherein is debauchery, but be repeatedly, it says be filled with the Spirit, but it's present perfect. Be repeatedly filled with the Spirit, ongoing being filled with the Spirit of God. And he has given us a means where we can rely, listen, this is critical, where we can reliably experience that week after week. It's when we come to this table, we are fed with the life of God. When we come to this table, God as a means of grace where he is always faithful. He says, I will feed you to give you the strength you need to go out and serve me again. Um, one of the things that happened the very first year I started hiking the Appalachian Trail again, uh, I, was, I was not physically in shape. Oh, I was in shape. It was just sort of like pear-shaped. Um, but when I started uh, walking the Appalachian Trail again, I was not, I didn't think I was, I thought I was in shape. I was not in good enough shape to hike, hike the Appalachian Trail. And so uh, it was so strenuous and so difficult. The thing that happened to me was that I literally lost my appetite. That's, that's apocalyptic for me. If I lose my appetite, there's something deeply physically wrong with Ben Sharp. Uh, I, you know, uh, my, my, the, my family crest, the motto says, eat through the pain. And uh, no, not really. Uh, and you shouldn't. Um, but the, uh, but I, and so as a result, I stopped taking in the calories that I needed to hike the trail. And it was just a, a feedback loop of failure. I didn't have an appetite. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, exert the energy I needed to do what I needed to do to hike that trail. If we are not fed consistently from the Lord's table, the same thing happens to us. We lose the energy we need to live the Christian life. God is so faithful. He meets us here over and over again. So this morning, brothers and sisters, remember that Jesus has been baptized just like us. And he has conferred on us all that the Father conferred on him in his baptism. And let's go out and be the Christ the world needs to see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand up. And as you're standing, if you see someone frozen, call the EMTs. As we confess the mystery of the Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.